Hello, blessed people of the earth. How are you doing? I hope you're blessed. I hope you're doing well. I hope you've just been receiving Jesus, man, eating on the bread with the wine. I've been thinking about this verse all day. I didn't plan on sharing this, but it is just, it's so good, man. It's out of Isaiah, the 55, 55th chapter, verse 1. The New Living Translation says, Is anyone thirsty? Come and drink. Even if you have no money, come. Take your choice of milk or wine. It's all free. It's just Jesus, right? Standing on the shore with the disciples, and he says, Come and dine, come and dine. And that's what we're about to do right now. This is a special episode of the podcast because I'm actually going to be playing a message that I preached at a youth night at the one of the best churches on the planet, Healing Grace in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Shout out to Pastor Greg Reether, the man who taught me everything I know. And shout out to Gene Barber, just a both wonderful men of God, and Gene, the youth pastor, he allowed me to come in. Uh, we flied in from Wisconsin, me and my friend Blake, a friend of the podcast, and we uh, helped out with their youth camp they did, their youth rally is what they called it. And this is a message I preached a night before the youth rally on the regular Wednesday night service. I love this message. This message was so much fun to preach, and what was even cooler was it was two teenagers and the young kids and man, if you've ever uh, talked in front of kids or teenagers, that's a hard crowd. That's the toughest crowd out there, man. And what I loved is they were glued. They were, they were quiet. They were off their phones, and they were glued to what I was saying, and they were receptive, receptive of it, which was just incredible. So I'm going to play this message, man. I hope you guys enjoy it, and be blessed. That was pretty good worship. Pretty impressed. Um, I'm going to talk about drugs. Uh, I want to start off with talking about the last time that I tripped on shrooms, okay? And uh, it's going to be a little interesting, but I have to set it up real quick. So in 2017, I was 19, and on October 17th of that year, at about 2.30 in the a.m., uh, I took a lot of shrooms. This isn't the last time I did it, but this is building up to the next time. Uh, and it's important, I promise. I took um, way too many shrooms, and basically, uh, it was horrible. It was a horrible experience, and that's what brought me to Jesus. I was born again already but I definitely did not have a relationship with him. And so, man, whose guitar case is this? Uh, when, I, when I describe this, so I'm not telling you guys to do drugs, but if you do do drugs, the one thing that you can't do is take a shower in the dark. That's like the number one rule, because it's horrible. So, of course, that's what I did, because I'm big brain. And this is how I describe it to people. I mean, you're in the shower, it's dark, you know that the water's coming here and that the thing's there. And basically, so I'm 19, whatever, um, I can't find the switch, and I can't find this. And you know, there's a wall and a curtain, and I went like this, like on both my hands, and I felt nothing. Yeah, and 
if I, the way I describe it to people is like, imagine space with no stars. It's just dark, like you couldn't even see your own hand. It's just dark. And then imagine somebody like taking you and just throwing you into outer space. And then you're just like floating until you die. Uh, that's what it felt like. So that'll, that will bring you to Jesus uh, in a real quick se second. Um, I was never like a fearful guy. You know, I wasn't one that like was scared of anything or, you know, just I, fear wasn't in my nature. But that put fear in me. And I was, I was just so scared. And the only thing I, I knew to do was to call out to Jesus because that's what my parents taught me. Thank the Lord for that. And I, I don't know, that, it was at that moment where I kind of evaluated my life and I said, I'm 19 years old and I can't get out of the shower. I was like, something's wrong with my life in this picture right now, right? Um, then after that, I, I finally made my way out somehow and I went into my parents' room. I marched in there at 2.30 in the morning and told them I was tripping on drugs. Uh, I did put clothes on before I did that. And uh, that was that. And you know what my parents did? Um, I love my parents. Uh, they can be, you know, a little bickering sometimes. Uh, but I'm not the perfect child by any means. And surprisingly, what my parents did, they didn't. I told them, hey, I've been, I've been smoking weed all the time. I've been doing drugs. I've been having sex. I just pretty much came clean about every single thing I was doing. Uh, and I had like a guilt that I didn't know I was carrying because I knew they wouldn't approve of that stuff. And so, you know what they did? They didn't, I was expecting like, you know, punishment. I was expecting for them to be upset with me. But you guys know what they did? They just hugged me and they just prayed over me and just all my fear went away. And, uh, the more, the more, over the years of I, as I've thought about that, I'm like, wow, just what a picture of the Father uh, just when we mess up so horribly and we come to him and that's how he treats it. It's just beautiful. So I told you that just to tell you this next part. So about two weeks later, um, I mean, I had quit like within two weeks, I quit cussing, I had quit looking at porn, I had quit, you know, everything I was doing. But I had, the, I had this question for the Lord. I said, okay, God, something happens uh, when I, whatever, when I take shrooms, something happens in my brain and my body uh, that is bizarre. Um, and, the, and this is funny, the only reason I wanted to do them is because I was taught by science and other people, spiritual people, that it, it was a way to God uh, when it's not, it doesn't really open your eyes. It just closes them further, really. Uh, so that's the only reason I was even interested in doing those type of things, because I had heard it was like a doorway to God. And you think with my first experience that I wouldn't want to touch him again, but that would be too easy, folks. And so I, I told the Lord, I said, something obviously happens when I take this God. And I said, all I want to know is, um, is this from you or is it from the other side, the enemy? Because, you know, that was my kind of frame of thinking. It could only come from up there or down there. There's no in-between to me. And uh, this is the part I want to get to. I told, I told God that I, I wanted to take him. And, like, I was reading my Bible this whole time in these two weeks. 
I literally, like, took my Bible Saturday morning to a park to, like, trip shrooms and read my Bible. So nobody could say I didn't love Jesus. Um, I obviously was just, you know, going through whatever. Everyone has these different um, things that they deal with in their walk. And that was my big question to Jesus. I thought, I just want to know what this is. And I took them, <laughs> and uh, I was sitting waiting, and a pack of Boy Scouts came by, and they were like, what you doing out here? And I was like, oh, just reading, reading a book, you know. And uh, as soon as they hit, it's like I just knew that I knew that I knew that it wasn't God. Like, I immediately got my answer. It just hit, and just something inside me was like violently like, this is not from Jesus. And so, you know, those things last a couple hours. So I'm kind of like, okay, God, uh, I messed up. Uh, you have to help me get through this experience. And the entire point of my story is not to go do shrooms. I would not advise that at all. Uh, the point of my story is I've thought about Jesus's response to me when, I, when that's what I wanted to do. Um, I thought about how interesting it is that he didn't uh, shame me or shun me or rebuke me. It was just simply, that's what you want to do. You know, uh, it's almost like God, he, he, he might not dis, uh, support decisions, but he supports you. He supports whatever you do, and he's there for you no matter what. The more that I've thought about that, the more just amazement that brings to my life because uh, I was raised in kind of a religious church where, man, if you, you know, it's possible that God can kick you out of heaven. I mean, you know, don't be too bad. We don't know. There's a line somewhere. We just don't know where it is. And so uh, that makes you fearful of God. Nobody wants to hang out with God if they think, as soon as they mess up, he's just gonna, he's just gonna, oh, sorry, we're not friends anymore. That's not how God works. And I can prove it's not how God works, because if you go back to Genesis chapter 3, who knows what that chapter is about? Good! One guy. It is the fall of man. Get that guy a race. Uh, the fall of man. That's where Adam and Eve partake of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil, and everyone knows the story. But there's something very interesting. Religion will teach it like this. Let me get my like best Pentecostal. Like, uh, how would they do it? Well, you see, Adam and Eve, they sinned, and then God kicked them out of the garden because they were evil. That's how a Pentecostal church would preach it. But it's not like that at all. Uh, that's how I was taught it. But when I opened the Bible for myself, I didn't listen to what my church uh, to what my Bible school was telling me. I opened up the Bible for myself and, and looked at it. And Adam and Eve, they sin. And you know what the next thing that happens is? Um, you know, they run and they hide from God. And do you know what, how God is? God comes in and he's just like, it says he comes in the cool of the day. And God's just looking for Adam and Eve. And he's like, where are you guys? Like, I'm here to hang out with you. So even though Adam and Eve, they went and they sinned, I mean like the biggest sin of all time forever, even though they did that, their perception of God changed. They thought 
oh my gosh, we're, we're naked. We have to cover ourselves because we're so ashamed and we need to uh, be good enough so we can approach God. The way that they saw God changed, but the way that God saw them didn't change one bit. God went right back to the garden. He went to go to the garden to do the same thing that he did all the time, which was it says he just walked and he talked with them in the cool of the day. So I don't know how you could, uh, uh, what more biblical evidence you would want to see that God is not looking at your actions, that he is not uh, focused in with some kind of magnifying glass, examining your sin and waiting for you to mess up so he can tell you and slap you up on the head. That is not what God's like. Let me ask you guys this. Have you ever had a friend who every time you hung out with them, they just had some critique of you? I got an amen right there. A, a friend that just every time you hang out, it's like something is wrong with you to them. You know, it's like, why do you always do that? You know, um, I've noticed girls, uh, it's, it's really popular with girl, teenage girls. That's like a, a real, uh, you know, it's like your friends, but it's almost like your enemies. Um, let me ask you this, that friend that makes you feel bad, that's like, yo, what's up with those sneakers? Those are what? Like, you know, what's up with your glasses or like that haircut? You right there. Yeah, you. Uh, you know, let me ask you this. The, for those of you that have had friends like that, how much did that make you want to hang out with them? Probably not at all, right? Nobody likes in the uh, forget about the God side of it for a second human to human Nobody wants to hang out with somebody Who points out your faults all the time? In the human natural world a husband and a wife a brother and a sister um, a mother and a daughter nobody wants to be around that so why do we think God is like that? God is love, right? It says that in the Bible, it says that love keeps no records of wrong. It says that love is not easily provoked. And we, we usually just use those. The church world uses that to tell you, you better, you, you better forgive. You know, it doesn't matter if somebody doesn't ask for forgiveness. You better forgive because you're a Christian. And we just use those rules to beat people over the head to tell them what to do. But meanwhile, those are actually meant to describe God. God is not touchy-feely. He's not offended. God is not, uh, it says he's not envious. Uh, I was kind of taught, I'm a musician, most of you know that. I was kind of taught, now don't let anything get in the way of God. You like, you like playing guitar? You better not like it too much because, you know, it could take the place of God in your heart. And so that made someone like me, who loves music, who has played music my whole life. Um, I, I, I literally dropped out of college to go to music school. That's how much I love music. That took someone like me and put the thoughts in the head, in my head of, well, I can't practice too much because it might take the place of God in my life and I don't want that and that doesn't that seem so twisted the very desire that Jesus gave me 
uh, and whatever you guys are into, the thing that you're into, for me, is music. Jesus has gifted me and given me a love for music. And church and religious people will take the very thing that you're created for and pervert it and make you feel guilty for wanting to do it. That's not how God is at all. Nobody wants to hang out with a friend who's like that in the natural. So why, if, if we think God is like that, if we think God is just angry, man, and he's just touchy-feely, um, God is not threatened by your joy. Whatever you enjoy, if you enjoy video games, if you enjoy sports, music, whatever it is, he enjoys you enjoying that thing. And uh, that might seem kind of silly to you guys. It's like, well, yeah, of course. But uh, the way I was kind of taught, man, that's a, a radical concept. So if we think God's like that, what would make us even run to God? What's even the incentive if he's just a big old jerk face, if he's a weenie, you know? Um, we're talking about friends and we're talking about how God acts with people. How many of you know who King David is? Yeah, he, you know, did the stone, Goliath, he's king of Israel, he kept some sheep, real great guy. And the Bible says that David is a man after God's own heart. And that's interesting because I'm just going to give you like a little bit of a rap sheet of David's life. Uh, David had uh, like four wives and also like eight side chicks. And, uh, I mean, we can, all agree, we can all agree that's probably not God's best plan for anybody's life. Uh, he's created it for one-on-one -on -one man and a wife. And, and yet this guy is walking around, and, and when David, David's big sin was he committed adultery with another man's wife. And then basically sent the, other, sent the husband off to go get killed. That's a pretty big thing. And when God rebukes David, when, when uh, God sends a prophet to David and he says, David, uh, you've done this thing in secret, you know, and he, and he kind of tell him like the jig's up. And God says something to David that I am just blown away by. He says, I, God says to David, I've given you these wives. And he's like, I would have gave you more if you wanted. And I'm like, what the heck, God? Like, you are supporting something that is uh, against your word. And that might seem counterintuitive, but what I'm saying is God will meet you exactly where you are at. Um, I probably don't suggest polygamy, which is uh, having more than uh, one spouse. Probably wouldn't suggest that. I can barely handle one. I'm just joking. My wife's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Who said that? I heard it. Uh, I just feel like that's so interesting. And, and, and David, he writes Psalm 51, and he says in the psalm, he says, he says, I know you, God. And back in the Old Testament, I mean, if you sinned, it was like, you better kill an animal quick because God's not going to forgive you if you don't. And David writes in Psalm 51, and he says, he's like, I know animal sacrifices isn't what you're really after god he says what you really want is a humble spirit what you really want is an open heart 
And even though David lived in an old covenant before Jesus that was rules on rules on rules on rules. I mean, it was like if you if you went and picked out picked up sticks on the Sunday, like they would stone you. That's the type of uh, environment David lived on. So just the uh, the cojones on King David to just be like, I know you don't really want sacrifices. To me, that says so hard that David knew who God really was. David knew that God wasn't after, I want you to repent for your sin. I want you to feel guilty. I want you to feel bad. Um, I want you to suffer. Uh, I, you know, I want you to kill these animals so that I can be appeased. David just bypassed all of that, and he said, I know what, you, what you're really like, God. And I, I just think that is, uh, that's impressive. And I think David's life is such a testimony. I mean, just, I mean, David was like a murderer, you guys. Like, he killed, like, thousands of people with his bare hands. He was, you know what I mean? He did a lot of um, interesting stuff, we'll say it like that. And yet this is the guy that God said, that's a guy after my own heart. To me, I don't know how you could ever think how God expects us to live a perfect life. If David, in that kind of life, can have the approval and love of God and friendship and fellowship, the two of them were obviously close. How much more in the new covenant with Jesus, where Jesus is for all time forever taken every sin, everything that you ever do. He took it on himself 2,000 years ago. It's a past deal. How much more is the just a, a, a wide open door of intimacy? Abraham's another guy I think about. Who knows who Abraham is? Yeah, Father Abraham had many sons and many sons had Father Abraham. That's a five beat. Uh, Abraham's a guy who, in the Bible, he's the only dude in the whole Bible who's called the friend of God. What a, what a title. And, to, and to, to be called the friend of God two to three times, I mean, think of all your favorite like Bible characters. Moses, King David, uh, the Apostle Paul, Samson, whoever you can think about. None of them are called the friend of God. Abraham is called the friend of God. And uh, let me give you a little backstory on Abraham. Abraham came from a heathen nation that uh, it's been said that they probably sacrificed their own children to, the, to God. And that's why Abraham could do it so easily, is because he was used to that culture uh, when God asked him to sacrifice Isaac. And uh, Abraham, so we, we have that, he's a, he's a, he, a child-killing heathen. Uh, he married his half-sister, which in Leviticus 18, if you do that uh, in the law, you know, like when Moses gave the rules, Abraham was before Moses, so Abraham didn't live under those rules. But under the rules, if you married your half-sister, like, the penalty was death. God literally says it's an abomination in my eyes. Not once, but twice, uh, the, Abraham and his wife Sarah went into a city, and the king of the city thought that his wife was beautiful. And so he was going to let his wife have sex with a king to save his own skin twice 
So that's quite a rap sheet of a person. And yet this is the guy who the Bible says is a friend of God. This is, this is the guy that when God and Abraham were standing looking at Sodom and Gomorrah and God was like, I'm going to destroy the city. And Abraham's like, what if there's like 50 cool people in there? And God's like, okay, I won't just destroy it if there's like 50. And then he's, Abraham's like, well, what if there's like 40 cool people? And God's like, okay, I can do 40. And then Abraham's like, okay, but like 30 cool people? And God's like, yeah, I can do that. Abraham's like, 10 cool people. God's like, yep. So Abraham literally changed the will of God. Does that not just kind of hurt anyone else's brain? God was like, I'm going to destroy this city. And in a religious church mindset, it's like God does what he wants when he wants it. He's a big kid with a red truck and a magnifying glass, and he's going to murder the anthill. That's God. And yet this guy who I just described to you, he's just, he just changes God's mind. I mean, that's pretty insane. An omnipotent being and, uh, who created Abraham then lets Abraham change his mind. That's, I mean, you're not going to hear that in most churches. Because in most churches, it's a master-slave relationship. It's a God does this, he says to do it, and you better be obedient. Because if you're not... He's going to slap you upside the head, son. I'm just naming off biblical examples. Talked about Adam and Eve. Talked about King David. Talked about Abraham. Let's use some real life examples. Uh, my parents, again, I mentioned this earlier when I was 18. I went to college for a year. It sucked. I hated it. Uh, if you can do it, kudos to you, but it's not for me, that's for sure. And I told my parents, <laughs> I said, uh, I think I want to drop out uh, to pursue rap music, uh, which is every parent's desire, of course. To uh, what parent wouldn't want their 18-year-old son dropping out of college to pursue uh, rap music, at the very least? And my parents said yes. I, to this day, do not know why or how. I asked them years later. I said, I, I told them, I was like, that was pretty much the coolest thing you guys have ever done. Uh, why did you do that? And they were just like, well, we just knew that you were going to do what you want. So we just didn't fight you. And when they said that, it was like, I was like, man, that is exactly how God is. He's just so, I don't know. I was kind of taught, you guys, you have this one perfect pathway of God's life. God has some, some great mysterious plan for your life, and it's just one straight road. Um, I can't vouch for you folk, but uh, I don't know how many people are on that one straight path, that perfect will of God. And they'll tell you, <laughs> yep, you're laughing because you know it's true. Uh, uh, they'll tell you, you know, you got this one straight path. And when you get off that, you just got to go right back where you started and then just keep going up. That is not the will of God. The will of God is not this. The will of God is just, it is. He puts a lot of authority in your guys' decisions. 
he is, uh, I know this is kind of opposite and really radical from what people might think, but the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, it says that we're co-laborers with God. It says that we are joint heirs with him in Romans chapter 8. I like the Passion Translation of Song of Solomon. And the groom says to the bride, he's like, you're my equal. My point is, uh, always listen to God, of course. Uh, God will help you out. God will, you know, uh, from, from big life decisions to which way should I take home, Father? He'll talk to you. He'll give you the answers. He'll save you from trouble. But many, many times I've asked the Lord, God, what do I do here? What should I, which pathway should I take or what should I do? And he just so gently says, what do you want to do? And I'm like, you're God. Why are you asking me? Like, I'm asking you. And he knows that if you're really at your wit's end, he knows that, you know, you need some guidance. But it's, the Bible says that you're married to God. It, it says that, Isaiah 54, verse uh, 4. No, verse 5. thought you had me. Uh, your maker is your husband. It says Jesus is your real husband. And when you get married, you experience marriage, and it kind of reveals a lot about Jesus. My wife does not do everything that I want her to do. She does not make every decision that I want my wife to make. Uh, <laughs> Uh, she doesn't always maybe take the pathway that I would take. But when she said, uh, just recently, she just got a new job. And it pays well, and it's nice. And just the other day, she said, I want to quit my job. And most, you know, most husbands would probably be like, you can't quit your job. Like, we need the money. Um, you just got it all these reasons she said that and immediately i told her i said i don't care what you do quit your job whatever i don't care uh, does it put a financial burden on us does it affect many things yes but who cares when jesus is on your side and so if i just kind of think about it like if me as a human man can just let my wife make her decisions even though I mean, it could be something that just, I know that I know we're supposed to do it this way. And if we do it this way, it'll come out this way. And it's the way to do it. Maybe I've done it before, but she wants to do it a different way. And vice versa, she lets me make mistakes. That's exactly how God is. God is just, he's really lax. He honestly is. He's very, I mean, he puts desires on your heart. And it's, you know, if you're super good at sports or you're really great at math, you know, then obviously he probably wants to uh, evolve you in that area because he gave you that desire. But I'll tell you guys, when you ask God for decisions and for guidance, um, don't treat it like he's just some master and you're the slave or he's a commander and you're a soldier and you're just waiting for those orders so that you can go out and do Nah, you can just sit, you can be relaxed with God, you can have discussion, he'll talk to you, you'll talk to him. That's exactly how God is. And that's why, you know what, that, when my parents 
when they said that I could drop out of school, that made me appreciate them more. That drew me closer to my parents. That made me think, wow, my parents are pretty cool. So how much more when God just supports us in all of our stupid decisions? How much comfort does that bring? Imagine a boyfriend or a girlfriend or a husband or a wife that you just had complete freedom to be an idiot. Wouldn't that be great? Imagine that. Imagine never thinking, oh man, I can't do this because I'm going to be embarrassed in front of my significant other. Um, it's definitely like that when you're dating, but when you're married, I mean, you just, you fart in front of each other, you burp, you just, yeah, it, it ain't pretty. But you're open and you're free and you're comfortable. And uh, I just think, I think, my, I think my wife farting in front of me is just a great picture of Christ in the church. <laughs> I, think, <laughs> I think it just sums up comfortability. We don't have to be afraid. We don't have to be shamed, okay? Blake farts in front of me all the time. All the t Blake lives with me, you guys. He's lived with me for months now. And his just long, wet farts, they are unashamed. His burps, too. If you guys have ever heard Blake burp, it's like, man, no shame, no mercy. It's a blessed burp for sure. You guys know the story of Cain and Abel? I got one, two, three, four, a head nod. Cool. So Cain and Abel are the children of Adam and Eve. And Adam and Eve, they weren't kicked out of the garden. Uh, God said, there's a tree that they can eat that will make them live forever. But Adam and Eve were in a sinful state. So if they would have ate the knowledge of the tree of life, then they would have lived forever in a sinful state. So God had to bring them out of the garden. And it says he guarded the other tree with angels that had flaming swords. So they weren't kicked out. God did that to protect them. And God still walked and he still talked with Adam and Eve and Cain and Abel. And Cain and Abel, basically Abel was like a really dope guy and Cain was like super salty. And Cain just kind of had enough. Now th think about this. Adam and Eve, they weren't born from people, right? They were created from dust. Cain and Abel were the first ever people born from other humans. And the first brothers, siblings. And Cain had just kind of had enough of Abel's crap one day, and uh, he just murdered his brother straight up. Yeah, he just murdered his brother. And uh, <laughs> after that happens, God comes to Cain and is like, where's your brother? Uh, I, and I just want to point out, God still came to a uh, Cain still talk to him if there was this concept of when you do wrong god shields his face from you if that was true then why didn't he do it back then and why didn't he do it with their parents comes to cain he says where's your brother at and cain's like i'm not his babysitter get off my case so not only is he the first murderer he also just straight up lied to god like what i mean uh do you guys know joshua the little boy Joshua in the kids group, your brother. That's right. We were in Sunday school one time, me and Blake teaching them, 
And we were talking about Rahab, the prostitute in the Bible, and how she, uh, she helped out. <laughs> she helped out these uh, Jewish people. And I said, what do you guys think of Rahab? And Joshua said, Rahab's got balls. <laughs> and I was like, Rahab does have balls. You're right on it. And uh, that's how I feel about Cain. Cain, uh, that's a pretty risque. Uh, not only are you going to murder your brother, which has never been done before, so he's really a pioneer of murder, then he's going to lie to God. Where does this guy get off? He just lies to God, and then God's like, man, why you lie? <laughs> That's an old vine. Uh, you guys are too young for it. It's fine. Dating myself, really. So, comes to Cain. He says that. He's like, you're lying. What's your first instinct? God's probably going to punish this guy, right? He's the first liar. He's the first killer. Of course. That's what you would think. Uh, but that's not what God does. God, uh, Cain, one, Cain's not sorry at all. So he's not repentant. So he didn't ask God for forgiveness. And uh, Cain comes to God and is like, dude, uh, other people are going to hear about this and they're going to kill me. He's not even upset that he just killed his brother. He's just focused on himself. God's like, okay, I'm going to put a mark on you. That way everyone knows that you're Cain. And if, and if they touch you, uh, I will avenge you seven times seven. So God protected the first murderer from being murdered. Does that sound like justice to anybody? Justice would kill Cain, right? That's what justice is. I heard this story about a lady who uh, got some professional photos taken of her, and she, after they developed, she went to go and pick them up, and she said, well, uh, these photos just don't do me justice. And the guy said, lady, you don't need justice, you need mercy, because she wasn't pretty. <laughs> yeah, it is. Cain didn't need justice, he needed mercy. And that's, I mean, that's within the first four chapters of the Bible. That's already, and that other one we talked about, Adam Eve, that's the third chapter of the Bible. So within the, you know, first five books of the Bible, God is already getting the message across of, I don't care what you do. I just want to be your friend. That's like the core message. Uh, a lot of people think Adam and Eve were just perfect. Like they were just perfect and they didn't do anything wrong? I don't think that at all. I think they were pure, and I think they were innocent. But I think, you know, they were trying to grow something in the garden, and they were doing it wrong, and God came around, and God's just like, no, 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 don't do it like that. Do it like this. And they were just friends, and they just hung out. God didn't create Adam and Eve to be a bunch of worker bees. I love reading in Genesis the, the story of creation because God spends, you all know it, you know, on the first day he did this, and the second day he did this, and the third day he did this. And every day, when you, when you just read it, he creates the birds, and he creates the sky, and he creates the sea, and he creates the dirt, and he does this. And every day, he, he saves man for the sixth day, which is the final day. On the seventh day, he rested, and that was his Sabbath. But... He created everything else, and then the last touch was human beings. And when I read Genesis now, all I can see is God, and he's just like, it's like the first day, and he's like, 
there's some trees. And then he's just like, wow, I can't wait to get to the sixth day so I can like meet them. And then it's like the second day and he's like, there's some birds. And he's like, oh my gosh, we're like one day, like if God could be impatient, he would be impatient. Because he's so excited. He's so excited for Adam and Eve. This, these two humans, he's been, God, God is timeless, right? That's, we all know that he's, he is not in time. He's eternal. And for all of eternity, before, before, if you say before, it puts it in time. But before time was even created, God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit, the three of them were just hanging out. And they were just like, wow, I can't wait till Isaac's made. I can't wait till Jessica's made. I can't wait for these people to be made. Way before time and way after time, all he's thinking about, this is how God described it to me. You guys ever play Mario Kart? Oh, yeah. Hey, I already beat you at Smash, son. So, oh, yeah, that's right. Sit on down, son. <laughs> uh, this is how God described it to me. God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit, it's like they were playing Mario Kart. And they were having so much fun. And they said, this game is so much fun. We need a fourth character. We need a fourth person to play with. We have to create somebody else. Because our experience, God and the Holy Spirit and Jesus, they have so much fun together. The three of them are friends. They exchange emotions and thoughts so perfectly and in sync and in union and in togetherness that they literally thought we want someone else that can experience the very quality of life that we do and then the third day he says there's some dirt he's like man i'm gonna use that dirt to make to make them fourth day fifth day on the sixth day and i'll throw this in too you know, whatever God wanted to create, he spoke to it. He spoke to the sky, and it produced birds. He spoke to the sea, and it produced creatures. Uh, he spoke to the ground, and it produced plants. You want to know, uh, somebody answer this. Who did God speak to when he wanted to make man? He spoke to himself. He said, he looked around at everything he made, Genesis 1:26, and he said, let, he, he turned to Jesus and the Holy Spirit and he said, let's make man in our image. Uh, birds produce birds. Trees produce trees. Plants produce plants. What does God produce? He produces gods. Little gods, of course. You know, not big G, but little G. He produces God, made in his very image. He's, uh, he looked around and he said, Let, he spoke to himself. He, he created us from himself. It's kind of graphic, but it's literally like a baby inside of a woman. And it just comes out, and that, it's like that, that grew on the inside of that woman. That's exactly how it was with God. He just, he had every single person here individually. He had you in his heart. He has had you in his heart for all of eternity. And he's just as much as he was excited to make Adam and Eve... He was just as excited to make you. That's the uh, excitement of God. Uh, that's the quality of God that I personally love the most. I love that it's not about how much I love God. It's not about how much I do for God. It's not about how much I give my life to him. It's all about how he gave his life for me. It's all about how much he loves me. 
uh, God is like a golden retriever that never sleeps. You know, you're, you're sleeping and then maybe some of you have dogs like this. You're sleeping and then you wake up and the dog's just like ready to go. That dog's like just been waiting for you to wake up so he can play with you. That's how God is. He just watches you sleep and he's just, he's so content. You could be doing nothing. It's like a baby. If you had a baby or a grandbaby and you were just watching your baby play with grass, doing nothing, pooping their pants, twittling with grass, but you'd be in love with that baby. You'd look at that thing and be like, man, that's the best thing I've ever seen. And it's doing nothing. It's doing less than, it's doing the opposite of nothing. It's causing harm. Babies are an inconvenience in your life. They interrupt your life, and yet God does it with pleasure. I'm rounding third here. You guys have been a pretty good crowd. I didn't think I could hold you for this long. Pretty impressive. You guys are, you guys are a pretty well-trained youth group, though. Uh, in Revelation chapter 12, the Bible calls Satan the accuser of the brethren. And if you remember, that's what I talked about, those friends that are accusing that point out your faults that do all these things so if that is the the nature of the devil it says he's the accuser of the brethren he constantly comes to god and he constantly comes to you and he just tells you man you did this wrong you did this wrong the only difference with god is is when he goes to god and he says man look at brock he's really he's not thinking right he's doing all the things wrong god says I see no fault in Brock. Uh, Brock's my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Brock has Jesus in him. It's not Brock. Brock's ability to live life, it's Jesus in him. Vastly different. If that, if that is the, I mean, the accuser of the brethren, like accusing, that's like in a courtroom when somebody committed the crime and the other lawyer says they did it and they're guilty the only difference is is even though you're on trial you're friends with the judge and he's letting you off scot-free that's the nature of it of of, of, of uh, you could call it if it's a, de a demonic nature to point out your faults obviously the opposite of that is to only lift you up when you think your ears are too big or you think you can't sing good enough or your weight or blah, 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 insert whatever. God's like, no, what? He's like, you are, you are lovely. It's, it's, it's like the Bible describes it like a groom just waiting at the end of the altar for his bride to just walk up. I think about my own wedding and I remember seeing my wife come out and just the white dress just looking perfect looking beautiful and you can't think anything other than she is perfect in this moment there's nothing she could do to disrupt what i think about her have you guys seen school of rock do you remember the principal how she was like kind of weird and do you remember at the beginning where that little girl, the little blonde-headed girl, is in her office, and she's like, I'll be good, I swear. That's what people think God's like. They think that you just, they're so scared of God that they just want to just confess the thing they got wrong and just run out the door like that little girl. I'm going to end with this story. Uh, I have a father-in-law. 
obviously I'm married and uh, he's a really awesome guy he's a really dope guy I couldn't have asked for a cooler father-in-law and he has a boat he just got a boat and he was like yeah you guys just you whatever uh, I had friends and family over and they're like yeah if you just want to go take the boat whatever and I was like I don't really know how to drive a boat I've never done that before and he was like oh I'll just show you and so we got on the boat and he was like you just flip this and you just do that your butt and that's it and then I was like um and then he was like oh you got it he had way more confidence in me than I had in myself that's to say the least and he was he I was like I don't I was like are you sure you want me to take it out like I kept trying to talk him out of it he was like nah man you got it like so much confidence in me when I didn't even think it of myself uh, long story short we get on the boat and um, I'm doing the exact thing that he said but it's not working and we're just floating adrift and we can't move or anything and I, I, I did exactly what he said um, and it wasn't working so I did something else and the boat was working and then uh, he met us back at the dock to try to help us out um, or help me out to show me what I did wrong and he sat down and he was like I, I showed him I was like I know you said to do this but look it doesn't work and then he did it and he was like oh you're right it doesn't work he was like you knew how to drive it better than I did and I was like he was like uh, I was like I mean do you want me to take it back out again? You know, I don't have to. He's like, oh, no. He's like, I've only driven this thing like twice. You got it. <laughs> and that just summed up what I think God is like. That summed up the very nature of God. I was already hesitant and kind of scared and not confident to take the boat out. Uh, but his sheer belief in me the love that he had for me and the confidence that he had in in my ability to do that uh made me want to do it and then when i did it and i messed up he just encouraged me even more than he did the first time i just uh that really was a really big picture of what i think god's like in my life so i'll end it here Man, uh, what Gene was saying at the end of the worship was really speaking to me. It does not matter what you think of yourself. It doesn't matter what you think other people think of you. Um, basically, you guys, and it, it'll take some practice, uh, you're going to fail miserably. And uh, being a teenager kind of sucks and is really hard. Uh, your brain hurts when... Uh, uh, when you get about 20 to 22, you're kind of like, what? why was I such an idiot? Uh, it's hard to think straight when you're a teenager, so I understand. And, uh, but basically in life, you, have, you, know, you guys are Christians, and you have two lens to live through. You can live through the lens of the world, which is only looking at the exterior, you know, only looking uh, at yourself apart from God, uh, looking at other people like they don't have Jesus in them either. You can look through it through that lens, or you can look through it with the lens of grace. The way God described it to me is like, it's kind of like VR. If you put VR glasses on, you're not seeing this physical world, right? You're seeing like a, a digital world. But meanwhile, you know, you're playing your shooter game in the natural looking like an idiot. 
But if other people could see what you're seeing, it would make complete sense to them, would it not? That's how being a Christian is. Uh, if you guys decide at some point in your life to step out and say, I don't care what anyone says about me, and I don't even care what I say about myself. I'm going to accept Jesus' opinion of me because he's smarter than me. Uh, if you make that decision, you're going to get a lot of backlash. But it's just like the VR. If everyone could know what you know, if other Christians and even non-Christians, if they could know how much Jesus loved them and loved you, it would make sense to them. Well, thank you guys. Y'all have been awesome. And I'll end this with a prayer. How about that? Jesus, I just thank you for uh, each and every precious soul here. And in these trying times of their just developing moments in life, you are right by their side, cheering them on, Father, just absolutely being so gentle with them, encouraging them, building them up, speaking to them your love. And that's awesome, Father. And the thing that I pray over them is the very realization of who you are, Father. Nothing else matters other than that. I pray that they will see you how you really are. I pray that their eyes will just be opened and they will be able to see what a loving, tender father you are. What a wonderful groom you are, Jesus. What a wonderful friend you are, Holy Spirit. And the type of friends that, the, 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 the type of friend that draws them near to you, doesn't push them away because of their disobedience or because of their sins or their mistakes but a loving God who actually, for some crazy reason, thinks that they're cool. Thank you, Father. I just bless them with that, and we thank you for a good rest of the week uh, in this rally as well. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.